The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. Coming up on Life Today, best-selling author John Burke explores the phenomenon of near-death experiences. The best way to liken it is think about a, you know, a painting on a wall, a black and white painting on a wall in, our, in a home here, right? Mm -hmm. uh, imagine if that's our world and our life, and death is separation. So you get ripped out of that painting into this three-dimensional world of this room, and you experience three dimensions of color, but you've only known two dimensions and black and white. Welcome you. I'm, I'm James Robinson. Betty and I have uh, a guest that we're really uh, grateful to talk to. The book he has written is called Imagine Heaven. He has, has spent years talking to people, I mean hundreds of people, who've had near-death experiences. And uh, John Burke, pastor of Gateway Church in uh, Austin, he said that he had Gateway Church before Gateway up here stole his name. <laughs> <laughs> He just has a wonderful, wonderful ministering family there in Austin. They have three locations. But uh, John Burke wrote a book, Imagine Heaven. He, uh, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a New York Times bestseller. Let's talk to him. Would you like to? Let's welcome John Burke. John Burke. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you're taking care of my, my town down there. Oh, you know, yeah. you, you, Austin's you, a good Yeah, name. your football team struggled over the years. Oh, you know, yeah, right? but we I won. won. We won. That's how you won some. All right, tell us about this. Well, um, you know, it started for me when I was, I was a skeptic and when I was young. I didn't, I thought Jesus was probably a myth. I didn't know what I believed about God. Uh, but my father was dying of cancer. And uh, one night I saw on his bed stand, someone had given him a book called Life After Life, and it was the first book. Life After what? Life After Life. It was the life. first book that coined the term near-death experience. That's when, when someone has a heart attack or their brain waves cease, they are clinically dead, yet their modern medicine resuscitates them. And they come back talking about how, but I wasn't dead. There's something else. And I read that book in one night and I said at the end of it, oh my gosh, Jesus, I think you're real. That's, that's what I concluded. How old were you? Now, I was 17 at the, 16 at the time. Wow. Um, now, Moody, who wrote that book, w was not a Christian. And he, he's, he didn't lead people that way. That's what I concluded just hearing their stories. Mm. And so that set me on a journey. The next year is when I actually got into a small group Bible study, asked my questions, came to faith in Christ. Since then, uh, I went from a career in engineering. So I'm skeptical by nature. I, I, I ask a lot of questions. Uh, into ministry, through seminary. And so for the last 35 years, I've not only intensely studied the Bible, but I have studied about a thousand of these near-death experiences because I've always wanted to understand what are those and how do they reconcile with what scripture says? Well, tell me what you found out. Well, what's really important is understanding that what, what people come back to try to describe is truly of another dimension. Uh, the, the, the best way to liken it is think about a, you know, a painting on a wall, a black and white painting on a wall in, our, in a home here, right? Mm -hmm. uh, imagine if that's our world and our life 
and death is separation. So you get ripped out of that painting into this three-dimensional world of this room and you experience three dimensions of color, but you've only known two dimensions and black and white. Now you're put back into the flat painting and you have to describe three dimensions of color in two-dimensional black and white words. Tough. That's what people are trying to explain. So as a result, they're all interpreting an experience. And so they're gonna interpret it in their own framework. Now, when you look at what they're commonly trying to say, and that's what I'm doing, is taking these thousand near-death experiences, and I take about 120 of their stories to let you hear through their words how this actually correlates with what the Bible said all along about what we should expect uh, of, of the life to come. Did you find common experiences, descriptions that you found consistent with what another said that in a skeptic's mind actually seemed to make sense and would have as a person then who's been studying the Bible, consistent, not contradictory of scripture. Absolutely. Are, yeah, what so, are so, some of those? I know you go over them very, very thoroughly in the book, yeah. which is why it's a bestseller, which is why Betty and I heard about it, which is why Betty immediately started reading and was captivated by it. What are the, what are the common uh, the common elements. Well, the first is when people die, they, they don't feel dead. They feel more alive than they've ever been before. They say they come alive and, and they have a body still, but it's a spiritual body. And they often say, it wasn't like I had five senses. I still could touch, taste, but I had more like 50 senses. And the senses were heightened. Like the sight that you could see felt like for miles or, you know, hearing or touch, everything was supercharged. Now, what's interesting is they usually stay within the room and are usually up above looking down at their own resuscitation. And in chapter two, I write about skeptical doctors in the afterlife. And I write about many skeptical cardiologists and oncologists who interviewing their patients change their view. They thought when you die, it's lights out, done, you're over. And they change their view to believe, no, consciousness lasts beyond the grave. Now, whether they whether they get it that it connects to the Bible or not, isn't always clear. But they get that this doesn't seem to be the end. Yeah, because of very verifiable things uh, that, have, that have been reported. So for and instance- that are consistent. Yeah, so this has been reported in the Journal of the American Medical Association. About 900 scholarly journals have written on this now. One, Gallup poll says one out of 25 people have had a near-death experience. This is not uncommon. But Christians have not wrestled with, okay, but we need to reconcile it to the scriptures. How do we do that? That's what I was trying to do. And it does. So Paul said, I, I believe Paul had a near-death experience. Acts chapter 14, he's stoned to death, dragged out of the city, left for dead, and then he gets up and goes back into the city. Personally, I don't think I would have gone back in the city that just stoned me to death. But <laughs> and he, did, I, but he did refer to like an out-of-body experience. In too. 1 Corinthians 12, he says, he talks about himself 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Why? Because you still feel like you have a body. Sure. And he talks about being taken up into heaven and seeing inexpressible things, right? But he also talks about in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, that um, our bodies are sown a natural body, but they're raised a spiritual body. They're sown in weakness, but they're raised in power. And do, this, they, do the many of them express that there's a power that they sensed in this other realm? Oh, well, the way they describe it is, I had never felt so alive in my life. Hmm. They, they come back and they say, this life is the shadow. That's the real thing. 
Mm. This is the less, we, we, we think of heaven and we think fuzzy, ethereal, <laughs> boring, hanging out on clouds, wishing you'd brought a magazine, you know, or, or people think it's going to be an endless church service. And I'm a pastor and that sounds <laughs> bad to me. Out. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> Sorry. It's going to be life fully. Yeah. Yeah. That's what Jesus said. Hey, yeah. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I really do believe that. And, and this <laughs> is what people consistently say. So. So yes, um, these, uh, like in uh, The Lancet, a, a, a journal in Europe, medical journal in Europe, they wrote about a man who was brought into uh, the, the hospital there. He was comatose, he had had a heart attack. Uh, the nurse realized before they intubated him and, and uh, shocked his heart, he had dentures. So took the dentures out, put them in the lower drawer of the crash cart. Uh, he, his heart started beating, but he never came to in the ER. Rolled him out to another room, a week later, he comes to. He sees that nurse and says, that's the nurse who knows where my dentures, my lost dentures are. <laughs> he tells who was in the ER room, said he was up above watching everything, and that nurse took my dentures and put them in the lower drawer of the cart with all the bottles on it. Wow. And that's common. And he's been out a week. And there, and there, and there are many, many stories like that that have convinced people, okay, we really do live on. Now, what happens is what I'm trying to show that, you know, the beauty of heaven that, that, that Christians talk about. And that's what was is so encouraging is more and more Christians were having these experiences and talking about them. Early on, they didn't because uh, New Age researchers took it and interpreted what was being said in more of a New Age slant. For instance, all the experiences were good. Well, that's because only people who heard of these good experiences and had good experiences came forward. But since we found out, no, that's not true. Uh, people don't often come forward, but 23% of those who do come forward to share this, and they don't come forward because it's so sacred to them. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be made fun of. 23% uh, come forward saying they would ha had hellish experiences. So they're not all good. Horrific. Yes. More horrific than they might have imagined. And I interview a, a tenured college professor who uh, was an atheist who dies in Paris as a duodenum ruptures. He can't get surgery. He dies. And, and this, is, this is really important because uh, I've, I've discovered some interpretive keys to these stories. Because if you just go read near-death experience stories, you, you could get really confused. It, some things about how does that relate to the Bible? Um, but there are some interpretive keys, and, and one of them is that people often say there was a border or a boundary they knew they couldn't cross on the other side, and they couldn't, or they couldn't come back. So this is not full biological death. So it's, it's, it's a peak in, but there is a border or a boundary you can't cross. So we can't tell from near-death experiences what eternity is like. We can tell that from what Jesus and the prophets told us because God revealed it. So that's the bigger framework we've got to fit these into. But Howard Storm, this professor, dies. He thought it was going to be lights out, but he's more alive than he's ever felt before. Like, you know, 50 senses, not just five. And another commonality is that people often have friends and relatives who have passed on before them come and welcome them. And it is this joyous reunion. It's just like this incredible, just bursting with joy. We're ourselves. We recognize each other. We still know our memories. We still, it's, it's just life continued, but, but much, much better because communication's pure. We know each other, uh, you know, thought to thought. 
Um, and then when they come back, in, are they expressing disappointment after where they were? And they don't they want to be here. They don't want to come back. Many of them are depressed. Many of them are, are depressed. They thought they'd really yeah. gotten to the ultimate. Yeah. But this college, this atheist college professor, initially it was all good, and he even had a group of people who were saying, come with us, Howard, and he thought they were hospital staff. He didn't know he was dead. He, he couldn't figure it out because he felt alive, but they were saying, come with us, we're going to help you. But they deceived him and led him into an outer darkness, mm. and it was horrific. And when I interviewed him, uh, and, and out on our, on our website, gatewaychurch.com, you can watch the interview in our message archives, and, and he couldn't. He couldn't tell me about it. He said they did such horrific things. I, I, I've been trying to block it out. But he, because he had not crossed that boundary, I think he still could call out to God. And he remembered when, when a neighbor brought him to Sunday school as a kid and, and a, a song came to his mind, Jesus loves me. That's all he could remember. And he wanted that to be true like nothing else. And he cries out, Jesus save me. And he says, into this utter blackness comes this brilliant man of light, brighter than the sun, but not hard to look at, unconditional love, wraps him up, holds him to his chest. He is healed, takes him out of there, and there he gets a life review. So he relives his life in the presence of Jesus and, and the angels. And this is another commonality, by the way. So another commonality is that people all around the globe experience this brilliant God of light who is unconditional love. He knows them. He's personal. He knows their every thought and motive. And then in his presence, they review their lives. They re-experience their lives. Now, again. And all this is happening in rapid time. Well, time, they say, uh, it's not the same. It, you experience past, present, and future in a different way. And they say, I don't know if it was an instant or I relive my whole life again, which sounds an awful lot like Second Peter 3, mm -hmm. to the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, mm -hmm. right? Sure. And, and so you start to see all these commonalities, but all across the globe, they don't describe, uh, they don't describe the God of their culture. They describe the God of the Bible. Mm. The God who, who said, I am the light of the world. That's another consistency. The God who's, who is unconditional love. The God who knows them by name personally. And they never want to leave his presence. They never want to leave his presence. Now, another interpretive key, because what's confused Christians is, uh, well, why doesn't Jesus tell them I'm Jesus? Because those who know Jesus know he's Jesus. They absolutely know it. But Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. They hear me and they follow me, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes we think, you know, well, why didn't God just tell him, oh, I'm, I'm Jesus? As if he couldn't do that now if he wanted to. He's not limited, <laughs> right? And, 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 and so he's doing these things on purpose. What they do come back consistently knowing is that God is love. And what he shows them in the life review is the most important thing is how they treated all the people they interacted with and how love is what's most important and how every little action for good or bad had ripple effect and mattered to him. So love God and love people. Absolutely. That's what they come back with. Amazing. Amen. The ultimate, the two great commandments. Betty, you, yeah, you've well, been he studying him. Yeah. So he he mentioned earlier about in some of the story, every, every story it seems like they could not describe enough how beautiful, extraordinary everything was. Like you said, it was like it's in 
depth after depth. I mean, everything yeah. everything was alive. Oh yeah, and it was just and not uh -huh. unlike Earth. And and I I interview people who, you know, like. Um, doctors and TWA airline pilots and like mm -hmm. this college professor who then became a pastor. He left his tenured college professorship to become a Christian pastor, you <laughs> know, <laughs> literally a Damascus Road experience. But these people who don't need to make up crazy stories to go sell books and make money. And in fact, it hurts their careers. And yet they're saying the same thing. Well, you know, this is not a place anybody wants to, to miss. I, I don't think I, I've met Jesus and he's believable. And I, I've experienced enough of the presence of heaven as he presents it in my life yeah. to be able to see you can't, you can't embellish it beyond reality. Yeah. The heaven is beyond embellishment. It's beyond exaggeration. It's beyond imagination. But yeah. it's real, and, and he offers it. He offers a great piece of that that passes understanding now and comfort and it's but the eternity, you, you just don't want to miss it. Well, it's the hope we have. You know, God actually commands us to imagine heaven. Colossians 3.1 yeah. says, set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. Set your hearts where Christ is because your life is hidden there. And it's beyond and greater than anything we can even it's begin gonna to be all. It's going to be greater than we really can And imagine. I think if we can do that, grasp a little bit of heaven that God wants us to see, we would live differently here. It changes how yeah. you live. And you know what? Quite honestly, that's why I wrote this. I wrote it for two reasons. I wrote it, excuse me, for skeptics like I was <laughs> because I think they'll see that, okay, this is across the globe. This is all cultures. And yet they're describing the God of the Bible. And I show very Absolutely. clearly how that's true. Mm -hmm. but, but secondly, for Christians, because I find so many Christians who live for retirement <laughs> because they can imagine it. They can imagine golfing and, yeah. you know, being with family and friends and enjoying life. But they ha haven't realized how great the ultimate retirement is going to be. And we need to live for it and save for it and sacrifice for and it. I, and I love sharing life. So yeah. I don't ever want to retire from that. But I know I have eternal life. You appreciate John taking the time to search and, and to investigate and talk to all these people. You can get the book in the bookstore. John, we, we, have, we have led, literally, I think, by showing people where they can be the miracle people long for and, and, and give them not only water for life, but the water of life. Mm. And there's tremendous joy. I, I want you to look in because every one of you that communicate with us, whether we see you in person or you communicate email or in a note, you say, James, Betty, thank you for letting us be the miracle someone longs for. You're going to want to be a miracle right here, and you can be. I want you to watch, because this is where you can download a whole lot of heaven right here in somebody's life right now. Just how dusty am I? Is there any place else I can go? My only drinking water is defiled by animal waste. I've seen what lives in that water. I've watched as others have fallen ill from the things I can't see. My throat is patched.
and I am dried up like dust. God, what I would do for some clean water to drink for me and my children. Just how thirsty am I? I guess I have no choice. Please God, I thirst. If you give just a cup of water, in my name, Jesus said, just a cup. Betty, I, I'm not exaggerating when I say to our viewers that to know that we could touch your life in some positive way and point you to the source of life and joy and peace now and everlasting gives us a tremendous sense of gratitude and joy. And when you see a situation like that, it's, it's grave that you just looking for water in the heart cry of so many. And, and we can not only give a cup of water, we can give a well of water. And we've been doing it. And right now, I think we're facing one of the greatest crises, according to the missionaries, where we emergency have to drill immediately 188 wells. And we got to find a way to get water in where you can't get a drilling rig. So what we're asking for is miracles, and the miracle is in your heart and in your hands. I believe our viewers are going to help us drill those water wells. I believe you will, too, because you believe in miracles. And we can be a miracle to this mother and to many other mothers like her as she watches children die, and it breaks her heart. And she knows if she gives them the water, it's going to likely kill them. But they have to have the water to survive even for a day. So please join with us, and let's get the, the wells to them quickly so that they can have, have the opportunity to see their children grow up just as we enjoy our children growing up. Well, you know, with the great drilling rigs, and you have, you just gave another rig. And uh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for being the instrument God used. We can drill those wells in most areas in a matter of days. And then we can case them and give them a manual pump because in so many areas they have inconsistent power sources at best. In some of the areas, in these outlying areas in the third world countries, they don't have power to their particular village or area. So we are giving them the greatest gift they'll receive apart from the water of life, Jesus. And isn't it wonderful to know that it's because of the love of God in our heart that we're giving them the water that they so desperately need, but that because we've experienced that, that relationship with God, we're able to share the water of life with them. And once they've seen the love of the God we talk about expressed through us and meeting one of the greatest needs in their lives, it's so much easier for them to understand God's love. Would you please, please right now, we're asking you to make the greatest gift possible to give life. The wells still cost, Betty, I'm being told this may be the last time we can keep them at 4,800, but they are that now. Could you give a well or a part of a well? Is there any way that you could do that? We're, we're going to send you, I think, the most beautiful bronze that we have ever created for you. It's a determined eagle, determined to soar in the turbulence of the times and the challenges of the day. And one of the things we do in a challenge time is we joyfully meet the challenges of others. We let the love of God carry us and meet their need. Would you right now, would you get your bank card, go to the website you see, or dial the number that's always there as a prayer line, and make the gift God puts on your heart. If you can give a well, please do. A part of a well do. 
remember this, $48 will give 10 people water the rest of their life. 144, 30 people the rest of their life. There's a level at which you can participate. We got some beautiful gifts. We have a wonderful devotion book by Sheila Walsh, a beautiful, beautiful print for the, the wall that is so pretty, the, no greater name than the name of Jesus that you can hang up someplace just to announce the truth. And you're going to be showing people the greatness of that person in your gift. Right now, the website you see or dial the number and make the gift God puts on your heart. Thank you so much for doing it. Every day, children living in extreme poverty are forced to make a dreadful choice. Drink filthy, polluted water filled with deadly disease or die from thirst. No child should ever be faced with this decision. Our teams have recently located remote villages in Southern Africa where children are dying from contaminated, disease-ridden water. The situation is desperate. They need clean, disease-free water immediately. With your gift today, you can help drill 188 water wells in remote villages across seven African nations. Your gift of $24 will help provide clean water for five people. A gift of $48 will help provide for 10. $72 will provide for 15 people, and $144 will help provide fresh, disease-free water for 30 people for a lifetime. With your gift, we'll send you Sheila Walsh's devotional, Five Minutes with Jesus, a fresh infusion of joy to help you find perspective in the midst of daily life and experience a deeper connection with God. With your gift of $100 or more, you'll also receive our No Greater Name Canvas, a beautiful artistic expression of our Savior's name and a daily reminder of His presence in your life. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,200 to help provide water for 250 people or a gift of $4,800 to help sponsor a complete well. And you may request our beautiful new hand-painted Determined Eagle bronze sculpture. Please call, write, or make your gift online today. Well, I hope I can adequately express how much your love means to these. You're saving their lives, their families. Thank you so much, viewers of Life Today, sharing Life Today. Imagine heaven. Hmm. When you have somebody there, now a lot of people for us, becomes very special. We're not going to miss it. I think when you share this and see it, you're going to help a lot of other people not miss it. You help us give a cup of water, the books in the bookstores, but we'll be glad to send it to you if you'd like to have it because we're going to experience heaven and express it right here. Would you thank John for sharing this with us? John, I thank you for the effort, buddy. Thank, thank you, Bless Gateway Church. Thank you. There in the Austin area. Thank you so much for watching the program. Thank you for being an answer to somebody's prayer.
In his new book, Living Amazed, James Robison shares how divine encounters can change your life. Living Amazed, coming soon to online and retail bookstores. I watched my mother-in-law, Eleanor, find in her dying what she'd longed for in her living. Sheila Walsh, tomorrow. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.